As everybody could uh, take a seat, we'll start. Let me open up with prayer. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for, uh, for your many blessings. We thank you for how you work. And we pray that you would increase our faith, Lord. This is a day that you've set aside, Lord. We pray that we would recognize this day, that you would, uh, you would tune our hearts to hear your word, that we would be encouraged by your word, that we would uh, get our priorities and our loves in order. Lord, we ask for this, and we pray that your Holy Spirit would come and do just that uh, for, for our uh, helpfulness, Lord, that you would, you would uh, come to us and help us along the way in this path that you've given us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, is David here? There he is. Uh, David, I remembered you said uh, David recruited me to, uh, to co-teach with him. And uh, we chatted a little while. And there was one qualification that I not uh, skip anything, right? Is that how you said it? I don't know if you knew me well. Pretty much. So uh, for good reason, maybe you told me that. So today, uh, we're going to skip the whole chapter. <laughs> uh, I, felt, I felt the chapter, the title of the chapter is prayer. And I felt, uh, I guess it was the Holy Spirit. I felt that when I went through it, what he did was talk about Job. And he talked less about prayer and I have an opportunity here to talk about prayer, and I'm going to seize that opportunity, and whatever the consequences are, I'll, uh, I'll reap them. Look on your handout. I have two, two uh, handouts. Uh, on, the vo- on the bottom, cat a corner, consider committing these prayers to memory. Uh, what I'd like to do, and what I didn't have time to do, is to make scripture memory cards. If you want cards like that, let me know, and I'll make them. We'll get a, some card stock. Uh, the prayers are separate. We're not going to go over them. But uh, my email is on the back of this. And if you shoot me some emails, say, send me, uh, give me some of those prayer cards that you make. The prayer cards will be five prayers that are on this, this separate sheet. If you don't have the separate sheet, take them. It's on the bottom, uh, catacorner. Let's start. People are used to thinking about prayer as a means to get their personal needs met. This is a combination of David Powelson who has uh, started the CCEF, Christian Counseling Ministry, and an article by, on prayer by Tim Keller and the various Sunday school lessons that I've been involved in over uh, 25 years. So people are used to thinking about prayer as a means to get their personal needs met. However, we should understand prayer as a means to praise and adore God, to know Him, to come into His presence and be changed by Him. We need to better learn how to pray, repent, petition God as a people, with our given subject at this time, we'll focus only on petition. So let's talk about petition, which generally is a default. In fact, when you ask people and bring up the subject about prayer, they, they would typically think uh, you're talking about prayers of, of filling our needs. It seems like to me, historically. And invariably, uh, prayers in the Bible and uh, mature believers look at prayer in a different light than, say, I would sometimes because I'm needy, just like you. Uh, I had a pastor one time that threw us for a loop. Uh, we had a, a scheduled prayer meeting once a week. And uh, he was a different kind of cookie. He was, a, he was tough as nails. He had a very well-developed mercy ministry. He would say he, didn't, he doesn't preach too well. I would agree with him. 
but he was extremely spiritually sensitive. And we had a prayer meeting, and uh, 10, 12 people showed up. And he says, uh, let's start out praising the Lord and only praising the Lord. So, you know, the acts, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. He viewed the petitions, which uh, are very important to us. He viewed the petitions as they will follow. He looked at the clock. We have an hour. They will follow. So we prayed, and he, he kind of forced our hand. He led us. And it was so rich that the hour ended. We got in the car. We're driving back, and we realized we never, never prayed petitions. And yet we had petitions. But it was very rich time. We're going to categorize petitions in three categories. And I, I kind of regretted dividing them in three categories because they're so interrelated. Petitions to God for circumstances. Petitions for a heart-level change in ourselves. Petitions for a change of this world. Petition for the kingdom of God to come, like the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I could have put 1A, 1B, and 1C because they're so interrelated. For instance, to look at number two, petition for heart-level change in ourselves. If I change and you change, that's the beginning of God's kingdom coming. <clears throat> okay, what happens when we only are focused on praying for a change of our circumstances or only interested in sanctification. Pray, pray, I'm struggling with sin. It doesn't go away. Praying for a heart level change or praying only for the kingdom to come. Here is what David Powelson has come up with. If you just pray for better circumstances, then God becomes the errand boy, usually somewhat disappointing, who exists to give you your shopping list of desires and pleasures. No sanctifying purposes, no higher glory, Prayer pursues self-centered gimme, gimme, gimme. It's kind of inflammatory the way he says it, but I didn't decide, I decided not to edit it. If you only pray for personal change, then it tends to reveal an obsession with moral self-improvement. I'm guilty of that. And self-absorbed spirituality detached from engagement with other people and the task of life that need doing. Where is the longing for Christ's kingdom to right all wrongs? Not just alleviate my sins, so don't feel so that I don't feel bad about myself. Prayer pursues self-centered, morally strenuous asceticism with little evidence of real love, trust, and joy. If you only pray for the sweeping invasion of the kingdom, notice only pray, that's, that's, that's the qualification, then prayers tend to toward irrelevance and overgeneralizations, failing to walk out how the actual kingdom rights real wrongs, wipes away real tears, and removes real sins, such prayers pursue a God who never touches ground until the last day. I think I've, I've known people who have, have been, uh, their view of prayer and petition has been skewed. I've not only known people, I've been those people, and I've vacillated from these three buckets right here. What about you? Does that resonate the way he says it, or is it a little bit uh, inflammatory the way he says it? Do you agree with what he's saying? Some nodding. Petitions to God for circumstances. Here are some examples. Give me daily bread. Another way to say that is let me keep my job. Let me pay my rent. Heal the sick. Repair my broken heart from the loss of my loved one. Protect me from suffering and evildoers. Make political leaders just. Convert my friends and family. Make my work and ministries prosper. Provide me with a spouse. Quiet this dangerous storm. Sin rain. Maybe not in Baton Rouge. Do not make me barren anymore. Give me a child. <clears throat> these are examples. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with praying these. 
It's just that we need to pray beyond these. And that's what I felt uh, Tim Keller didn't really address, and that's what I felt, why I felt compelled to, uh, to address it. Let's look at Hannah's prayer in 1 Samuel 2. Help me in my circumstance. That's what she's praying. Hannah described her state as follows. Distressed, weeping bitterly, troubled spirit, great anxiety, vexation. Here's a time of great temptation. Great temptation. Whether you face life-threatening disease, great threat of loss or safety, or tormented because of your barrenness like Hannah. It's amazing what type of experiences it can bring out of your heart. <clears throat> Some people complain. Now, this is, this is another uh, list that, uh, again, it's a little inflammatory, but it's accurate in my case. I'm hoping that it's going to be accurate in yours. <clears throat> it's a little bit uh, cynical, but real, it seems like. And that's another way to say it. Some people, in the midst of their dark days, in the midst of their suffering, some people complain and grumble, getting grouchiest with the people who most care. Others get angry at God, at themselves and others. Others pretend nothing is wrong, denying reality. Others invest vast hopes, time, money in pursuing experts like doctors to get answers. Others try to find someone or something to blame, even getting litigious. litigious. Others just keep pressing on with life, doing, 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 when God really intends that they stop and learn the lessons of weakness. That one really resonates with me. Others become deeply fearful. Perhaps this is the big one. When Susie read this, she's my proofreader. She, uh, she misinterpreted. Uh, the big one, I think of, uh, I'm going to show my age, and I, you may not even know what I'm talking about. I think of Fred Sanford. Ever, does anybody know Fred Sanford? Sanford and Sons. Uh, when things got stressful for him, he would, he would wobble. He'd grab his heart, and he always would say, this is the big one, this is the big one. <coughs> it's a big heart attack. Deeply fearful. Others shrink responsibilities that they're able to fulfill, even with the trial. That one's another just piercing to me. Others plunge into a gluttony of utter self-indulgence, TV and whatever. Others get depressed. The trial becomes an occasion to question the meaning and value of their entire existence. Others are too proud or embarrassed to ask for help. Others manipulate everyone within reach to serve their every need. Others brood that God must be out to get them becoming morbidly introspective about, real, about every real or imaginary failing. So what do we do with these people, not us, that struggle? Like, what do we do with these people? Do they need a strong rebuke? Is that a proper response? Aha. Uh-huh. Does the silence mean you don't know? Are you too stung by the list? What do we do with people like this in the face of suffering that react negatively? We can agree that this is wrong, but, but how do we help? How do we love them? How do we help them in that situation when they're stuck? Can you speak up? The first thing to do is to be with and listen. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Along those lines, uh, I think something I learned years ago from Trisha is I need to validate what what the person is saying. Yes, this is a real circumstance. It it really is bad. 
and uh, not to immediately jump to, you know, oh, but you just need to focus on this. Sometimes you have mm -hmm. to focus on this. Mm -hmm. I have a little yellow, yellow sticky pad, and on the sticky pad is a hodgepodge of fix this, fix that, uh, call this person, so on and so forth. Uh, it's my to-do list, and I, 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 when I make the list, I tend to make it uh, and be serious about atta attacking it so there's a strikeout. Do you look at this as a to-do? I'm, I'm speaking to men. So these people are broken, and we are here to fix them and fix them quickly. It's clear what their problem is, and they're stuck in this particular sin, maybe denying reality. Look at the list. So I don't think that's what compassion and empathy is about necessarily. Surely a rebuke <laughs> is due at time, but I, I, I can count the number of times. So seldom in my life have I given a rebuke at the right time and in an appropriate way. And uh, so finally I'm at the point that perhaps I'm not the best one to do that. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's necessary. So it, it seems like what, just what you were saying, David, it seems like there's things to do that you need to be in relationship with them and you need not to back away from them and you need not to fix their problem quickly. What does Hannah do in her poor circumstance? Is she a, a complainer? Is she denying reality? Is she going to some expert? Maybe she's some fertility expert of, of the old world. Heartbroken by her inability to conceive a child and tormented by a rival who mocked her. She was brokenhearted. Hannah turned to God in prayer so intensely that a priest who saw her thought she was drunk. She pours out her, her soul to the Lord. She was, let's read 1 Samuel 10. <coughs> she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow, O Lord of hosts, you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son. That's what she wanted. She wanted it badly. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. And she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her, her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah said, No, my Lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of great anxiety and vexation. So great anxiety and vexation, affliction. So she's in that, in that uh, vice, in that vice, and the vice handle is being turned. So what we're saying, what we said previously, is that when the vice is being turned in the dark days, in the, in the suffering, it's amazing what type of experiences can bring out of your heart. What comes out of your heart in that situation? So what did she do? She pours out her soul to the Lord. She pours out, she prays, she prays. But she prays in a particular way that is desperate, experiencing God and knowing where her, where her comfort comes from. She prays for the Lord and she's specific. She's specific. It's a, it's a very, uh, a very uh, useful prayer to, to look at. Any questions about Hannah and how she reacts? Any questions about that, that uh, uncomfortable list? of reactions in the in the vice. Okay.
petitions for a heart level change. Now, what we're, what we're showing is that if, if all you, if what you view prayer as, as a petition to God for circumstances, and that's only what prayer is about in your life, then things are skewed. There's a certain level of spiritual unhealthiness. So here's another aspect. These are petitions, but they're petitions that we often don't think of when we think of petitions. <clears throat> Here's some petitions for a heart level change in ourselves. Forgive my sins. Deepen my faith and make me know you better, Lord. Sanctify my heart. Teach me to love others. I don't know when the last time I've prayed that. I'm ashamed to say. Teach me to love others. You have to be aware when you don't have that love for others, hospitality and helpfulness to my church and my neighbors, supernatural ability to love the neglected and unloving, radical charity of myself and my resources as though I only have one last opportunity. Make me wise where I tend to be foolish. Don't let me dishonor you, Lord. Give me understanding from scriptures. Teach me how to encourage others without flattery. Strengthen my grasp of the gospel and weaken my whole of the world. Help my marriage portray the kind of commitment Christ has to his bride, the church. Give me the ability to be a real and transparent missionary and disciple for Christ. Give me the desire for humility in daily circumstances. Give me joy in the Lord and his provision of salvation. Make me own a grateful heart that produces a countenance that provides the world a witness of his goodness and mercy. A subpart of that. Make it so that the joy and gratitude does not leave with undesirable circumstances. Give me a love for his word and the transforming power on us. Forgive my hypocrisy and close the gap between my heart and what I say and sing in church. To pray this also, look at these things. To me, they're deep and profound. Uh, and I'm grateful for uh, CCEF that has most of these. It's a hodgepodge of a collection. But to be aware that you're lacking that and then to be praying that to me is a sign of health. And normally we think of to be aware that you're lacking that. Lacking that we would maybe classify as a, not a sign of health. You don't have this and that you're unhealthy or you're needy. No, it's a sign of health when you know that you, you don't have that and you go to where you can get it. It's very important for good spiritual health to be close to the Lord. What's your two cents on that? <coughs> Come on. Surely you have an opinion about that. Is this how you pray? Yes. Without sharing too much. Can you can you speak up? Without sharing too much, I've walked this for many years. Um, when I learned I had cancer the first time. Uh huh. So you had cancer, you were needy, and you, the, the ugly things on that list and your response to the, the suffering and the darkness of life, you wanted God to take that apart. Then you gave it over to the Lord, and then you realized you were needy in a different way. Yes. Yes. And, and in fact, maybe your prayer life changed. Absolutely. Yeah. Doesn't mean that, that you're not grateful for the kid. You're grateful for what he did physically in your life. But to me, every aspect of us, that's, that's, maybe you can help us on the term shalom. I would love 
I, I bet we could have a Sunday school on shalom and on the, on the word shalom. But the, the older I get, the more I realize how everything is interconnected. That when I am physically unhealthy, I have to fight from being uh, spiritually unhealthy, emotionally unhealthy, uh, mentally unhealthy. I saw mom had uh, a really bad case of the shingles. How long do shingles last? A couple of weeks. She had it for a year. And she was the most mentally healthy person. She was an unselfish liver, an unselfish thinker. Her language was such. And then the shingles didn't go away. And I call her every Sunday. And uh, I, get, I didn't know my mom anymore. The physical pain. And then as a nurse, she was, uh, she was reluctant to take, I guess it was called Oxycontin, because she had seen people uh, addicted to it. I'm not going to take that. So she didn't take pain medicine. So she lived with the pain for a solid year, and it changed my mom. It changed how she thought. It changed her words. It changed her priorities. So physical illness can change spiritual health. It really can. Everything is interconnected, and it's good to know that they're interconnected and to be on guard of that. Any other comments? Heart-level change. Um, Can these petitions that we just read honestly be mine in the midst of suffering? Can these petitions that we just read honestly be mine? Do you want them? (laughs) Is that the way you want to pray? Not that you exclude uh, the blessings and the physical change in circumstance. You don't exclude anything. You include it, but you don't exclude item two here. You include it. If you want it, can those petitions honestly be yours in the midst of suffering? Do you want them? Do you covet them? Remember what you already know. We, last Sunday, uh, we sang a song. It was called In Christ Alone. Do you remember the words of that song? You already, it's a very popular song. Let's look at this. So what I did was to take the bulletin and copy from there the words of In Christ Alone. I did it so that it could be a comfort to you. Could I own a hope that transcends my hope in healing physically, emotionally, and mentally? That's an excellent question, don't you think? In the midst of suffering, can my fears and all my strivings be stilled and cease? In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, what fears are stilled when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. It's worth, worth memorizing this song, I think. Can the gospel be on my mind and in my mouth when I endure the dark days? Another good question, don't you think? Can it? Will it? Put it another way. I get it. Our dark days come from the fall, but can the suffering actually magnify my love for Christ? The suffering magnify my love for Christ? Can it do that? The gift of love? Can I be comfortable and satisfied with that potential purpose for my particular suffering, being God is sovereign. Let me read that, quote, that again. Can I be comfortable? Can you be comfortable and satisfied with that potential purpose for my particular suffering? What happens when you say, no? <laughs> what happens when you say, no, I can't. It's intolerable. It's not appropriate. God shouldn't do that. I shouldn't be comfortable. What happens? 
You think bitterness, a root of bitterness perhaps? And there's a possibility that God is trying to communicate to you that I'm tr- God could be saying to you, I'm trying to figure out, Johnny, if you, uh, if you love the blessings more than you love me. It could be that God's trying to do that to me. It could be, right? It could be like that for you. I want to leave that door open. I want to leave that possibility as a, as, as a real possibility. And if, if, I'm, if I can get comfortable and satisfied with that purpose for my particular suffering, then that's good. I'm going to endure the suffering in a totally different light than I would be otherwise. In Christ alone who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness scorned by the one ones he came to save. Till on that cross that Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. That's the gospel message there. It's laced in this, this whole song. It's the gospel message. And many, many people over many, many centuries have felt the gospel is sufficient to help us through the dark days of life. I feel like I'm different from them. I'm, I'm, just to be honest, I'm different from them. Sometimes the gospel is not sufficient. Sometimes I sin. Sometimes I just don't handle things correctly. That's why I want to... I wanna, crystallize the gospel. I want to think about, and I, I think you, Ryan, mentioned about, uh, maybe it was Ryan, yeah, it was the other Ryan, mentioned about the value of song. And sometimes you can't, reco- rec- you can't recall the words of a song. Uh, and then when you think about the tune, someone says, tell me the words of the song. If you just speak them out, you'll get all, <laughs> well, let me go, let me back up. Let me try to sing it in my mind and then I'll tell you the words of the song. That's why songs are so powerful. And they're used by the Holy Spirit in the worship that you'll have in about a half an hour. So let them change you. If they speak of the gospel, listen, listen. In my suffering, should I expect comfort from the fact that one day you and I will be resurrected to Christ and none of God's people will experience pain and suffering? Will I be comforted by that? Can I be comforted? Me? Is that comfort, if that comfort is absent, what is wrong with me? Why would it be absent if God is a giver of good gifts? I don't know how to answer that. I just don't know. <clears throat> there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day. Have you ever heard that song sung by someone other than the Gettys? There's, there's a sort of a praise and worship band, feel it? So they sing it sort of like the Gettys, and then when they get, then when bursting forth in glorious day, they sing it. You know what I'm talking about, David? They sing it in such a way that the music raises. There's, there's, there's like a crescendo. You know, it's like everybody must have been sitting, and then they stood up. They could not be seating anymore. They had to stand up. Then bursting forth when they sang that, they stood up, maybe even reached up. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again, just like you will also. And as he stands in victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. I hear about the power of Christ in me, yet even in my suffering I have guilt and fears. Can I really change as a result of my suffering? Can my suffering ultimately diminish my guilt and fear? No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. 
From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power in hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns and calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. What do you think of these words? What do you think of these words? Yes. We were talking earlier about praying for heart, praying for heart change. Yeah. And not growing bitter. <clears throat> and sometimes those two things work against one another. Where you stop praying and you're growing bitter while it's happening. You're asking for God to change your heart. And it's not immediate. And yep. when you're bitter because your heart change isn't happening. Yeah. It hurts. It seems like this futility. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're in a bad spot. And the thing that has been, at least for me, comforting in those kind of moments is not, uh, it's not just to say God died for me and Christ shed His blood for my sins, but the actual reality of a resurrection. Yeah. And to act to have your satisfaction pushed, delayed. Yeah. <laughs> you may have to wait all the way to the very, 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 very end. That's right. Songs like this, when you start singing about about heaven and about and what with this victory over sin and death, to think that that ultimate thing, that mm-hmm. uh, the sting of death has been uh, has been taken away, mm-hmm. uh, may it sometimes be the only comfort, and mm-hmm. maybe the reason why is you keep praying the prayers for heart change, even though you're not yeah. feeling them or seeing them. Yeah. There's a, a, a scene, there's a scene in my kitchen, I, I think of uh, a young African guy that uh, didn't know much about Christianity, but he was a Christian, and uh, he said, I need to see you, and uh, at, after church, I said, well, come, he came, and uh, he kept looking over his shoulder to see where Susie was, and he, he had something that had to come out, and he needed to confess his sins to me, and he did. And he was crying, he was crying. And his sins were nothing compared to mine. And I realized how I, I'm not brokenhearted over my sin like I should. And how God uses, how he teaches me. Uh, and he taught me with someone who barely knew English, who, who knew nothing about the Bible. But he knew that uh, he needed to repent of his sins. I mean, you don't need to know his sins. You just need to know they were small compared to my sins. So when he asked me, he, he wanted me to pray for him. And I did. And I just, just his tears, he cried easily. And when he cried, boy, those tears just came off and just were dropping on the kitchen table. And I'll never forget that, how callous I can be and... Uh, and how unbrokenhearted I can live day after day. So singing songs like this uh, help me. I hope they help you. <clears throat> and then we have Daniel's prayer, which kind of goes with uh, praying for that heart level change. <clears throat> God's people had sinned and were under his judgment. They came back from the, uh, from the expulsion, and now things were coming together. But they still have a ton of problems in their country. 
Rather than blame God for all the disarray, all the, everything is now broken in, in the country of Israel. Rather than make excuses or just simply despair, just, just hunker down and do nothing. The prophet Daniel instead voiced one of the most moving prayers of repentance recorded in the entire Bible. He says, this is how we have sinned. He was very specific and even long-winded. We have sinned and done wrong and act wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants and the prophets. Righteousness belongs to you, God, and we have shame. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame because of the treachery that they have committed against you. We need your mercy and forgiveness, Lord. See how simple? It's very simple. We need your mercy and forgiveness, Lord. We need it because we're aware that we have sinned. And we need your mercy. And we're hoping you give it. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him. And I bet you have too. And me too. And have not obeyed the voice of our Lord, our God, by walking in his laws. See, we have his laws. We have more of his laws. We know it's much more clear to us what God demands of us in our lives than it was for Daniel. I would assume that Daniel's Bible would, be, would have been much thinner. In fact, he would have had his own copy, perhaps. Your curses and oaths in the law have been poured out on us for good reason. And the curse and the oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. Therefore, the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought, brought it upon us. Who has, who has brought the calamity? Satan? My sin? The Lord brought the calamity. The Lord interceded and brought calamity, just like he promised he would do if they disobeyed. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. We remember how you've worked for our good. Let your anger turn away. Again, simple language. And now, O Lord God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away. Go to the next one. Please listen to our prayers for mercy. Incline your ear, hear, open your eyes, and see our sorry state. Now, therefore, our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to the pleas for mercy. Oh, my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that is called by your name. Exercise your mercy. Forgive. Pay attention. It's bold to say that to God. Pay attention and act because we are called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy, O Lord. Hear, forgive, pay attention and act. Delay not for, you, for your own sake. O my God, bless your city and your people are called by your name. It's, it's a, it's a, a personal uh, petition and it's a corporate petition. Corporate petition. What do you know about corporate petitions? Well, actually, I think last week we had a corporate petition, uh, a handout from a, from a general assembly. Does anybody know what that was about? Do you remember that? David, do you? About racial reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I see a lot of similarities between David's prayer, what he's presenting to God. I wasn't at the meeting. I think, Ryan, you were at the meeting. I wasn't at the meeting but the petition has this formality and it has this resolution feel to it. It has to have certain languages like hereby and so on. But when, it, when they presented and they were, before they vote, I bet they prayed and I bet the prayers were informed 
by this petition, this overture it's called. It was called Overture 43. Turn the page. So compare Daniel's plea to Overture 43, which was presented at the General Assembly. The General Assembly is a, a, there's presbytery meetings and presbytery gatherings, and the General Assembly is a one-time thing, and that's when all the presbyteries, all the churches in our denomination come together. Compare this uh, presentation, this overture, this confession with what Daniel's, and you see it's, it's very similar. It, there's a personal aspect, and then there's a corporate aspect. It's a recognition of sin and guilt, and it's laying it before the people and before God. I, I just summarized it in paraphrase. We recognize, confess, contemn, condemn, and repent of the corporate and historical sins, including those committed during the civil rights era. This is getting specific. And continuing racial sins of ourselves and our fathers, such as the segregation of worshipers by race, the exclusion of persons from the church membership on the basis of race, the exclusions of churches and elders from membership in the presbyteries on the basis of race, the teaching that the Bible sanctions racial segregation, discourages interracial marriage, the participation in and defense of white supremacist organizations, and the failure to live out the gospel imperative that love does no wrong to a neighbor. Do you think that our denomination is guilty of these sins? Let me, let me rephrase it. Do you think the leadership of our denomination think that as a corporate group of believers that we're guilty of these sins? I would say yes. They've documented it. It's, it's not a matter of, uh, well, what about you? What about you? It's an overall acknowledgement. Now, why would you do that? Why would Daniel do that? It's laying it all out, and it's asking for forgiveness. How do you repent unless you're very specific? Repent about what? He goes even more specifically. It's a failure to live out the gospel in prayer. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. I grew up in South Louisiana, and I can remember uh, my dentist had a, uh, a white entrance and a black entrance, uh, a white water fountain and a black water fountain. And... Uh, in the back of my mind, I had convinced myself that uh, I, I'm, I'm a Cajun French and, and uh, there's not a lot of prosperity for a lot of Cajuns. So I convinced myself that I was not, uh, I, I didn't have an animosity for blacks and that we Cajuns were sort of like the blacks, but not like the blacks. But we were not like those, uh, those twangy people from North Louisiana who they're the ones that have the dentist's office. And they're the ones that put the sign. So I somehow I'm convinced that I'm not like that. Uh, later I find out I was in many subtle ways. Uh, fast forward 25 years later, and I'm adult working closely with a black guy. And he, uh, he was taking the day off the next day. <clears throat> and I had convinced myself, we're, we're friends. We're, we're very close. I convinced myself of that. And, uh, well, why are you taking the day off, Ricky? He says, I'm taking it off for Juneteenth Day. Juneteenth Day, what is that? He went ballistic. He absolutely went ballistic and made a scene. I was, my face turned red and I wanted, what did I do? I just asked a question. I don't know. You know what Juneteenth is? Who, who knows what Juneteenth Day is? What is Juneteenth Day? You're a school teacher. Were were. Didn't know it before then. Yes. Uh, it's the day that we celebrate in Texas when slaves here received news of their 
Emancipation. Emancipation. It is a huge deal to them. They take off of work, in fact. And uh, I offended him for not caring one bit about this thing that is... In other words, it, I tipped my hat, that phrase. I, I revealed my hand that I don't care and I don't, I don't love you and I don't care about anything that's important to you. And uh, it, there's a multitude of things that communicate that to, to sometimes to blacks, right or wrong. Sometimes they overreact. But in any case, I realized that, that uh, I'd never spent the time to walk in his shoes. That's the fundamental problem with me. I, I, didn't, I didn't really empathize with his situation, and I didn't want to empathize. I have enough to do. I'm raising a family and so on and so forth. Well, it just all blew up. And uh, it seems like I never had a relationship with him, uh, a, a good relationship after that. In other words, he, said, he felt, I think I know Johnny's heart as it relates to my people. That's how he thought. We recognize, back to this list here, we recognize, confess, condemn, and repent of past failures to love brothers and sisters from minority cultures in accordance to what the gospel requires, as well as failures to lovingly confront our brothers and sisters concerning racial sins and personal bigotry and failing to learn to do good, seek justice, and correct opposition. We recommit ourselves to the gospel task of racial reconciliation, diligently seeking effective courses of action to further that goal with humility, sincerity, and zeal for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. Let me read that last little statement. So you could say the objective is racial reconciliation. That's really not the objective. The objective is for the glory of God and the furtherance of the gospel. And the means, the issue we're talking about that gives God glory, that furthers the gospel, is us living the Christian life in such a way that it glorifies God and it furthers the gospel. They see the gospel in us. They see the hope in us. It's racial reconciliation is the picture of the gospel to them. We urge churches to make this resolution known to their members. Hence, that's why that resolution was put on the back table last week. Uh, and then we have about five minutes. Let's go to the next one. Any questions so far? Did I hit any hot buttons? Petitions for a change in the world. Petition for the kingdom to come. Aspects of kingdom-centered prayer. What is God's kingdom? I think I've said this before. It's wherever his lordship is recognized. And that can be anywhere. Wherever his lordship is recognized. Hopefully, in about 15 minutes, in the sanctuary, his lordship will be recognized. Hopefully, tomorrow's Monday, you know. (laughs) Hopefully, all of that Monday, God's, the Lordship of Christ is recognized in my life. At least I'm aiming at that, and I'm assuming you are. Uh, Aspects. It's focused on God's presence and kingdom. A request for grace to confess sins and humble ourselves. A compassion and zeal for the flourishing of the church. A yearning to know God, to see His face, to see His glory. And it's bold and specific and involves self-examination. Self-examination is a, is a, it's a doozy. It's painful. It's uncomfortable. It's very uncomfortable. <clears throat> I'm going uh, to stop here. In Acts, I want you to look at this. So uh, in, this, in Acts chapter 4, there's threats. We'll let you go, guys. But none of this preaching this gospel. This Nazarene sect, it has to stop. We'll let you go. So they, let, they were let go, and you would think that, let's have a prayer meeting, because they're about to put a sword in our, 
in our hearts. They let us go this time if we continue. So let's pray that God would keep their hands. He didn't ask for that. And now look, at, look upon their threats and grant to your servants. Look what I've underlined in Acts. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your words with all boldness while you, while you stretch out your hand to heal. So he, he's, not playing, he's not praying for a change of circumstances, which he needs, <laughs> or else his health will be affected. He's praying that they would have boldness. We're going to do it. It may cost us. It may cost us with our lives. We're going to preach the gospel. We've been warned, but we're still going forward. I'm going uh, to end here. There's a boldness of Moses that I want you to read. And uh, any questions with what I've said so far? I didn't give you a lot of time to speak, uh, but now you have the time. What do you want to talk about what, based on what we, we uh, discussed? Anything stood out? Yeah. Yeah. So I got on Google and uh, I said prayers, uh, prayers that I should memorize uh, in in the dark days or in in suffering. And I got these five prayers. So if you're interested, I'll ask you again. If you're interested, uh, I can make some prayer cards, some scripture memory cards and uh, put the stock in, and we can print it all out, and you can have these prayers. You can memorize them, and then once you memorize, you can throw away the cards. <laughs> That's what's good about memory. Uh, I would love to do that, because uh, I know I'm going to suffer, just like you. And when I suffer, there's a great temptation. We've already talked about it. A great temptation to do all those bad things that are on that list, all those negative responses, wrong responses, sinful responses. I don't want to do that. I'd prefer to have to, to have a, a scripture memorized that would comfort me. Uh, a scripture such that uh, Exodus 30, 33, 13. Now, therefore, I have found favor in your sight. Please show me your ways that I may know, know you in order to find favor in your sight. The next one in Philippians. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of men. There's one also of Psalms. Uh, we've memorized Psalms 5, 3 before. And then uh, Jonah. Let's look at Jonah. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Let's close with prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. And we pray that it would do its work. It would, uh, it would turn up the hard-packed soil uh, of our hearts. We realize that if that's something that we can't do ourselves. These people can't do it for me, and I can't do it for them. We pray that your Holy Spirit would come and uh, show us how we should pray, how we should communicate, Lord. Give us a desire to be closer to you. We want to draw to you, Lord, but, boy, we are so tossed to and fro. We're scattered. The world is so complicated and in many ways fearful. We pray that you would take away the fear and the guilt that we have, Lord, and that you would fill us with love for you. We pray that we would think often of the gospel 
and that we would distill it down to where it's something that is very, very clear and useful and portable in this, uh, this world with all the ter- torment, turmoil that is in, Lord. We pray that we wouldn't fear the future especially, that we would uh, have you as an anchor for our soul. Pray that you would come running, Lord, and give us comfort when we need it and in our suffering. In those dark days, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.